Welcome back to the Stop Stressing Me Out podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Smith, and for those of you who have been following along, we are on our fourth episode of our series on stress in the workplace and how to better manage it. Now, it's funny because this past week, I had a big painting project around the house. I had to paint our ceilings in our living room area, which took far longer and was far more strenuous than I was expecting. So to help pass the time, I put on the new season of Drive to Survive in the background while I painted, and a few things occurred to me. Number one, what an incredibly stressful environment. (laughs) Clearly, if you're a Formula One driver, you're expecting stress and pressure, and you probably even thrive on it. Drive to Survive and Thrive? Eh, It's not not quite as catchy a title. The second thing that stood out for me, though for those of you who have watched it, was the power of the new Williams team principal, James Voles. So he took a team that was on the bottom of the grid, 10th place, and moved them into 7th over the course of one season. And this is a team that hasn't budged for a while. Now don't press me on specifics, like, because I really am a drive-to-survive watcher versus a Formula One fanatic, so like, I can't give you all the exact details but basically moved this team up significantly when they had been stuck at the bottom for so, so long. Anywho, I found it so powerful that I went and listened to a podcast interview with him where he breaks down how they got there. And the big takeaway was psychological safety. He was not worried about year one, year two, and only like a little bit worried about year three. What he was focused on was breaking everything to build it back up. Blaming the problem and not the people. Giving people the freedom to fail, provided they learned something. And seriously, if you're an F1 fan, like I highly recommend you check out the High Performance Podcast interview with him. And it all ties in so well with what we're talking about today, given our guest's passion for sports and, of course, psychological safety. So we are back for part two of our interview with Jen Single, and today is all about psychological safety. If you haven't listened to part one, pause here and go back and listen to it because it is worth every second and you won't want to miss out. Okay, if you're still listening, I'm assuming you've caught up on part one. Now, in part one, we talked about Jen's sports and coaching mentality and what it took to take a team that was low on engagement, who felt like a punching bag, who were frustrated, and took them to being a high performance, highly engaged and purposeful team. This kind of shift doesn't just happen by chance, and it doesn't happen overnight. But Jen walks us through the intentional shifts that she experimented with to see the difference that occurred in that team. And that's exactly where we'll pick up today. Now, before we head into the interview, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the Impactful Engagement Training Calendar. So kicking off on April 17th is our Less Stressed Teams program. So if you are a leader and your team is experiencing burnout, high levels of stress and disengagement, this program was designed for you. Over the course of six weeks, we will guide you through not just the principles of psychological safety, but the tools that you can begin implementing to see real results. We'll talk about tools you can implement in team meetings, one-on-ones, in how you can identify and support those going through burnout and get them back to a place of feeling purposeful and productive. To find out more, go to impactfulengagement.com forward slash training. That's impactfulengagement.com forward slash training. Now let's get straight into the second part of our interview with Jen Single. At the top of this session, I described 
uh, something the team shared with me in the early days that they felt like they were being treated like a doormat. And I think I already said, I knew that wasn't the intention of the business. I knew nobody meant for them to feel that way. And it was a really sad fact that that's how they were experiencing working. And so I want to talk a little bit about how we course corrected that, right? The, what I heard when, when they said we are a doormat or we feel like we're a doormat. First of all, I, what I acknowledged was there was a real victim kind of mentality going on. Like we're powerless and folks are treating this this way and there's no way out. So that was a real red flag and something I knew I needed to address mentality wise if we were going to be a championship team, because you can't be a championship team and feel like you're the victim of something. Mm -hmm. You have to fix that. Right. And not that I thought people were intentionally treating them that way. And then the second thing was, it's really energy draining to be in that space all the time and not good for your health too, right? So so I put that particular piece of information on project status. And the way that we address that, I think I said, is we focused on like, what is our true value to the, to the company? What is our purpose as a team? Which helped shift our own internal view of ourselves in the business. And then I also, instead of focusing on everyone else in the business and how people were treating us or, you know, the tone of the requests that were coming in or the volume or any of that stuff, I actually focused on what we can control, which is ourselves, right? I focused on, I said, well, how do we think we're contributing to that dynamic? And it was like blank stares across the room. It was like, well, no, it's not our fault. Blah, blah. I said, no, we're doing something to create a dynamic where we're not being treated the way that we'd like to be treated in the organization. We want to be advisors. We want to be mission critical. We want to be treated, you know, with respect as we know we have a lot of value to offer. What can we do? And what we kind of teased out in, in these sessions was that, you know, we weren't always behaving openly. If someone would bring a request to the team and our initial reaction would be, we can't do it. It's not on the roadmap. Um, it's not our job, you know, would be kind of our, our frame. I said, you know, I bet you we will be treated differently if we don't do that knee-jerk thing. If someone comes to us and they ask for something or a request, first of all, you can ask for how you're going to be treated. You could go to that person and say, hey, did you know it makes me feel X, Y, Z when you put it in these terms or when you expect it or you don't even ask how my, my day is, whatever it is. Let's, let's enforce that boundary. This is how we like to be talked to. But also, let's demonstrate how we would like to be um, interacted with. So how would we like to be interacted with? Well, we would like to be curious. We would like people to be curious with us. So why don't, when someone comes to us with a request, instead of saying, no, nope, we can't do it. You know, I'm upset with you for asking me to do it in the first place. Let's just ask some questions like, hey, you know, what's going on in your world that you need this? Why do you need it on that timeline? Genuinely, um, gratitude is always a good thing. Like, thank you for bringing this problem to me. And, and then really like, be a partner to that person, mm -hmm. right? Let's be a partner first on our side. And then we'll wait and see if the experience changes. If it doesn't, you know, we've got many moves, we can do X, Y, Z. But my guess is that if we just show up differently ourselves with a different expectation of how we're going to be treated, naturally that experience is going to change. And it did like really quickly too. All of a sudden we shifted and we were seen as um, business partners, not business blockers. We were seen as more collaborative because we were being more collaborative. We didn't necessarily take on a whole bunch more work because you got your capacity limits, but just the tone changed between us and our different, you know, partners in the business. We started treating everybody in the business like clients, right? Instead of as, uh, you know, folks that were, you know, making demands on us that we couldn't necessarily meet. So that's how we addressed it. And then that feeling of being a doormat, that victim, that kind of 
that feeling of powerless, it changes when you realize you have personal agency over how that dynamic is going to be experienced. And so much of what you said throughout the entire uh, conversation is tied back to belief, right? Mm -hmm. We're believing in this new mission. We're believing we have importance and value. We're believing what people are saying when they say they're grateful for us. We're believing that we can have different interactions with people. So much of it, I guess it's that Ted Lasso, like believe, right? <laughs> like It's all up here. It's all in your yeah. mindset, right? And if you like genuinely, if you believe that people are jerks and they mean to be jerks to you, that's well, how you, you perceive it. Like, you don't have yeah. a leg to stand on, right? But you look around the room and you go, I know these people, they're nice people who care, who just want to be successful too. And maybe they're really stressed out and that stress is showing up and the tone that I'm receiving has nothing to do with me or my team and everything to do with what's going on over there. Let's arrive as leaders and as business partners and be curious and grateful and empathetic and compassionate. Doesn't necessarily mean we're going to do the work and overload ourselves, but you just show up that way. And all of a sudden the dynamic changes and all of a sudden everybody is experiencing less stress. Yeah. It's amazing. So what do you say to the leaders who focus so much on putting out the fires in their meetings and team development? I've frankly never been on a ton of teams where like team development was a priority in those meetings. Yeah. Well, and just to be clear, I don't tell the team I'm developing them. And that's yeah, no, for sure. Now they know. They're like, oh, that's what Jen was doing. But like, it all I makes just, sense. Yeah, I just put it in there. You know, when I, I hear this a lot, you know, we don't have time for that. Or maybe you guys just aren't busy. This team was so busy. Yeah. Right. Just incredibly busy. But first of all, I committed to it. I have to carve out, I have to spend some time as a leader developing the team. And this is like the best place to do it. And then, like I said, um, at the top of the meeting, we talk about what we have to talk about that day, right? And so we we curate the list of critical things we need to do in that team meeting. At the end of that ritual, then I would say, okay, let's move into the agenda. And something really crazy happened. It didn't matter what was on the agenda. We moved through things so fast because I think, this is my theory, number one, at the beginning of the meeting, I had sort of put seeds in people's minds that these were the things we would have to get through. So when they're feeling regulated, their brain is creative. It's it's working in the background on it, right? The problem solving is happening while they're doing this other thing. So we've got those two things going. And, um, and number two, everybody knows what we have to get through. So you get really efficient really fast, right? Mm -hmm. And then I guess the third thing would be, you know, when the team is feeling psychologically safe and bonded and all of that, you see a lot less weird behaviors that sometimes you see in business, like competitiveness, like that I'm the smartest person in the room, itis, you yeah. know, and you just focus on the problem because you trust your teammates and you feel really respected too. So it, we just found that we moved through our agenda so fast. We always got the work done. We never went over time. And if we, for whatever reason, had a thing that we thought needed, you know, more time, we would go, okay, let's book a meeting and get through that together. But it was, we were really efficient. So yeah. I, when I started with that particular team, um, I just sort of joined their first or second team meeting just as an observer to see how it was working. And it was working a lot like some of the other teams I'd been on in the past where, you know, there's this giant agenda and everything feels critical and you kind of work from top to bottom and then you say the thing and then everybody in the room has to say something and you're not actually sure you got to a resolution and then you get to the second thing, but now, oh my gosh, you've got five more things and you can't get them all done. And you just, the whole experience of that team meeting is really stressful yeah. in and of itself. And you also don't get as much work done. So that's kind of how I would structure those. They worked for us really well. And I think at the end of the meeting, folks felt like we'd been productive. They felt 
like on a high base because it kind of are with the dopamine in their systems on a high leaving the team meeting uh, equipped for the rest of the week basically mm -hmm. I love it one of the things so I hear this often from clients people I work with that there's always when it comes to workplace well-being psychological safety sustainability whatever we're, we're talking whatever terminology we're using here people on the sort of lower levels want it CEOs and executives are saying, yes, we want to give it to you. And somehow it gets blocked in the middle. And mm -hmm. again, not that, not that those middle managers don't want to give that, but they are having this huge struggle with, like you're saying, these are the goals of the business. I want to keep you well. I feel I don't have the resources, the budget, the time, whatever it is to do all this or the skill set where do you start? I know that's a massive question, but like, what would your it. advice be for a middle manager who's stuck in that and doesn't know how to achieve those business objectives and keep people well? I will say off the top, I think if you're like a director in a company or a middle manager, uh, it's a rough go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a tough position. You're kind of like the sandwich generation. Like if you're talking about a personal context, yeah. like you're looking after everybody and you know, generally speaking, directors, they have the skills and experience and they know exactly, you know, what they need and how to be successful on any particular thing, but they don't always get, get it right. Mm -hmm. Because the business has other priorities. Um, their team members, they're kind of sandwiched in between, you know, they're being told they have to do a bunch of things from HR and executive because they're really important. And then their, their team members are going, we're tired, we're depleted. We don't have the space. And so that person in the middle, sometimes I've seen feels a little bit like powerless in and of themselves, mm -hmm. right? And it, be, it becomes stressful in and of itself. And I think as, as a leader, if you don't have your own house in order, like your own stress managed, yeah. and being managed, it is really hard to support mm -hmm. a team, right? So it's a it's a kind of a perennial question. I can tell you what how I approached it and it might be helpful for some folks or maybe it will make sense. Uh, like I said, I think I have two jobs. I have to give the business what it needs and I got to build the team that can deliver that whether I'm there or not. Like my goal is always when I get a team to build it up in such a way that if I were to step aside, it just carries on. Mm -hmm. right? It is still successful that I'm not the person that's that's essential for its success, right? That yeah. I built this foundation up so it can continue to go. So those are my two jobs. That first job is so critically important. And what I sort of see a lot of times <laughs> is I wonder about, I wonder if this is common or if it's just sort of my experience, but um, directors will come in, they have their team, they look at their whole system and setup, and they've done, they have a lot of experience, probably from other companies. And they go, okay, I know this team will be successful if it has these pillars in place. These are mm -hmm. my priorities. And then they hear about the priorities from their leaders, right? And say like, the business needs X, Y, Z this year. And they mash them together okay, we're going to be this and we're going to do those things. And it's just too much stuff, mm -hmm. right? I, I think if you're a director strategically, the most important thing is to get really aligned with your immediate leader on what the business needs that year. Like what are its priorities? What's its number one thing that if you don't deliver, you know, it's not going to feel like it got its money's worth from yeah. the investment that you're making. That is like, has to happen. Yeah. Essentially, right. You got to do that. You got to rally around that thing. Everything else, you might need to be a little like patient yeah. about putting it in place, right? Maybe you know your team needs this training or maybe you know you need this process, but if it's not what the business is saying is a key priority, you're probably not going to get the buy-in or the resources you need to support those things. And so mm -hmm. you might as well not fight, right? Just, I always think, you know, 
if you be, develop a reputation as a team that delivers results over and over and over again, which means what the business needs, when you go ask for something, like I need a resource because I think we could do this and be even more successful, you're more likely to have less friction and less resistance, but you kind of have to do that first part first. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two, um, I'm, I spend a lot of time thinking about goal setting, mm -hmm. like goal setting for the team for five years. Like, where does this team need to be in five years to help the company be successful? And then, you know, bring it right back to three and then bring it right back to like this year. What's the most important thing to do this year? And I share all that with the team. We kind of co-created actually and say, okay, these are the things, check it with your leader, make sure, are these the things that matter? Like if I say no to everything else, but I give you these things, are we okay? Get yeah. that agreement, right? And then you go and you build your plan. It's kind of like the same thing, um, you know, let's say I'm a, a coach of a team, a professional sports team and management's come in and said, I need you to win this championship this year. That's your goal. You're like, okay, I'm winning it. We're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get there, right? You're going to take your year and go, what is it going to take between now and then to get to that championship, right? And you need to, as the coach to to factor in that you can't have people running full out all year round. They're going to die on you, right? So you have to actually plan in a little lighter loads. If you know that you know, an auditor on your team has a very busy audit season between November and February, right? You're going to tell them you're going to be very busy between November and February. You're probably going to work extra hours. Thank you in advance for all of that. But I promise you between March and the following November, we're going to find a way to bring it back to something more reasonable so that we're not burning you out all the time. So kind of intentionally building your goals and load bearing with yeah. across the whole team is really important to making sure that your team can deliver you know, that first piece, right. And also feel like the team is being successful and not constantly underperforming because there's too many expectations on it. And also making sure the team is ready to deliver value year over year over year. Mm -hmm. I also really like it too. If I can, like, if I know, let's say I have an auditor who I know is just going to be flat out for a period of time because it's a busy season. If I can build my goals so that other members of the team are not as busy like maybe we don't push our strategic priority right at the same time. Maybe we wait a couple of months and then really pick it up in full swing. That just means I have a little bit of reserve capacity so that they can help the person who's really busy. Or if something critical comes in, like um, you weren't expecting a crisis comes in, then I have a little bit of reserve in the tank, right? So it's mm -hmm. kind of shifting across the team, not just with the individual um, team members as well. Yeah. That's what I would try. And then the last thing, I mean, it's a hard thing to do always and I wasn't always good at it, is just making sure that your leaders are aware of the work that your team is doing and the effort that they're putting in all the time on a regular basis. I think it, people forget. You're filtering you know, the gratitude and celebration up, right? Uh, without being like performative or cheerleading about it, yeah. just saying, like this is what the team is delivering because it's just a, a fact of human nature that if your perception is that team is not flat out, that they're ready for more work which yeah. isn't always the case, right? Like maybe they aren't flat out, but they're not ready for more work right now, right? So it's kind of this process of like constantly negotiating what does the business need and when is it needed and making sure that your team's protected without being the department of no. Yeah. That's, that's the trickiest piece. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to be the like the leader that people come to and you're constantly saying, I can't help you, my team's full, right? Like that's yeah. not that's not creating a spirit of partnership. One of the... When I've kind of worked with leaders on organizational well-being or the, or those types of plans, one of the feedback comments I've heard multiple times is, 
well, people need to take a bit more personal responsibility for their stress. <laughs> and in my experience, I often see the people who come to me who are doing everything that they personally can and they're stuck. What's mm. your take on the stress of an organization? Who's responsible or I, how is responsibility shared? Well, I think business is stressful. Yeah. <laughs> it just is, right? Like we're all trying to do hard things. Uh, none of us have, you know, our dream resource situation to deliver yeah. the work. It's just the way it is. It's life is stressful. Crisis happens, things come and go. So I think just ex expecting some stress is inevitable is important. I do agree with the, the proposition that um, we're all responsible for ourselves, mm -hmm. right? Like every single, especially leaders, like really, truly leaders, think about your personal relationship with stress, your personal relationship with achievement, right? Mm -hmm. Why that's important to you. How, what's your nervous system doing all day long, mm -hmm. right? Are you, is your heart rate up? Is your face red? Did you forget to eat? right? Are you constantly tired? Are you, um, do you find yourself being short with people and, yeah. and not having like a, just a generosity of sort of like spirit when things go wrong? If you're seeing all of those things objectively in yourself, my guess is your stress is not well managed, right? You yeah. don't have tools in your toolkit to really keep yourself in a, in a hyper-regulated place. And so I, I think that's really critical for leaders to do that work. And also, don't be so hard on yourself. Like yeah. a regular basis, I tip over and my stress gets out of control. And then frankly, I will get a flare. Yeah. And so that's just my cue to be like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to take it easy this weekend, or I guess I'm going to go work out a little bit more or read a book or something. So it's, it's kind of working for yourself, that personal responsibility. And then as a leader, it's like building a team context that can thrive and can manage its stress. If you're a leader and you're not managing your stress very well, you're taking all the requests in of the business and you're just pushing them down to your people and saying, perform, I don't care about, well, nobody says, I don't care about your feelings. I'm more just like, I feel bad for you. I know you're burning out, but I really need you to do this thing. Yeah. It's kind of the most common way to do it. Well, then I don't think you're doing your job as a leader either, because we need to make sure that the context we have for our team is sustainable. And sometimes mm -hmm. that means talking to your, your leader and saying, I think this is too much for the team, or I think we need to do this a different way or slow it down. Or, and other times it's just flat out saying, I don't think we can do this right now. Mm -hmm. I don't usually say, I don't think we can do this right now. It's mostly, uh, let me share with you what's going on with the team right now, what they're focused on. And I'm really grateful to you for coming to me with this problem that you would like us to solve. Can we find a way so that it works for everybody so that I don't, you know, ask too much of the team members that then they have to give. So I think it's a bit of both. I think there's a leadership mm -hmm. component. I think this personal accountability, if you don't have good habits, personally, yeah. it's going to be hard for you to overcome. Some people are just, it's never occurred to them to actively manage their stress in the workplace. Well, and I think it's also difficult to do that when psychological safety doesn't exist, right? Because you're coming mm -hmm. into your team, your organization. First of all, we come with our own baggage, right? Of past organizations and past leaders. And so you come with a little bit of armor on in many cases, if you've been burned in the past. And then I think there's the, if, you're, if your team and your organization doesn't feel psychologically safe, it already feels like a hurdle that you have to get over. 
Mm. in order to just do the day-to-day work let alone go above and beyond right well and it's even worse now because (laughs) COVID I mean just the circumstances we find ourselves in like genuinely we've all been through a collective trauma Mm -hmm. right all of us and it was really very hard you know we especially from a work perspective where you went from something that was familiar, working in an office with each other, it was still stressful, but working mm-hmm. in an office with everyone to an overnight scenario where you're trying to develop new practices because you're working from home all the time and you don't have the same kind of body language to feed off of when you're in the office with your leaders. You don't can't get certainty the same way. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I just think most people don't think about the tone of their writing when they're in <laughs> business. They're so efficient, yeah. right? They're like, like I... I don't know. I have this reaction. I don't know if other people do. If I write something to a senior person in my company and I get a K back, I'm going to die a thousand deaths. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, am I getting fired? Like, what do what, I can't read into K? K doesn't give me enough information. Right. Yeah. So, so I think that circumstance just created um, bigger opportunity for people to feel insecure at work because it's just you don't have as much information coming in all the time and also we were all scared for ourselves and our loved ones like we just weren't safe is yeah. the truth right we weren't actually safe for a while and now we've moved on from that as if it never happened but we still have those wounds really we have that ner- our nervous systems are are on red alert still a lot. And then you're in these remote environments or these hybrid environments where you don't quite have the same information that you would have had otherwise. And it's really easy to kind of think the worst thing and feel unsafe versus going, oh no, I'm okay. Right. So I think leaders, um, I mean, there's a couple of easy things you can do. The first is it, I know what I'm going to hear, by the way. I know what people are thinking even before I say it. They're going to be like, I don't have time for that, Jen. And also people are grown-ups. So I will address those two things in, in turn. But the first thing you can do as a leader, I think, is just be very conscious about the tone you use. Yeah. In meetings, especially in writing, you know, especially if there's something that maybe isn't going 100% the way you want it to, Mm -hmm. right? People know when it's not going well. And if as a leader, you're like all over them, you're like, where is this period? Have you done this period? The person on the receiving end of that, like, is not feeling great. They're not feeling yeah. particularly secure, right? So uh, I I try, I probably go too far on this front sometimes, but I think you can overdo it and it's still okay. If I know I have to talk to somebody and it has to be in writing, like I can't get on a meeting with them for some reason, maybe there's time zones or we're working async or something. I do a, a lot of work softening yeah. what I say, right? To say, hey, how are you? Hope you're well. Like just human things to start like I would in real life. Um, I noticed X, Y, Z is happening assurance. It's okay. If that's what's happening, we'll talk about it. Don't worry. Do you have an idea when I might get a timeline, you know, and I've been Mm -hmm. accused of being soft, quote soft, but the truth is I just did the same thing. Someone else would have done if they said, where is it period, but I haven't stressed my team member out. Hopefully maybe they're a little stressed, but they're not super stressed because they know they're safe with me. They know it's going to be okay. I just need this information because we have to get X, Y, Z thing done. So I think that um, as a leader, psychological safety is your, like one of your main responsibilities is creating a space where people feel like less uncertain, yeah. right? It's like double negative. 
And one of the ways you can do that as a leader, you can either help it or hurt it with the tone you use in your written and your verbal communications. And so being really conscious of how you show up in your tone and your approach, like, are you being directive? Are you subtly suggesting the person is in a lot of trouble? Like all those things are likely to make somebody feel pretty uncomfortable and unsafe. Now, if you have a performance issue, you got to call them to task, be direct, you know, don't let them off the hook, but you can do it in a nice way. You don't have to do it in the way that's going to like someone's at home at night at supper time going, I think I'm going to get fired. My boss wrote K. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's not. I've I'm... had those conversations with my partner. Yeah, oh, I sure. know. And then it turns yeah. out it's nothing. You talk to the person. They're like, oh, I was just busy. You're like, you were just busy. I And I sweated <laughs> over that for hours and hours. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, it's a lot to ask of leaders. I mean, like I said, that middle management rung especially has a lot on their plate already. But the investment that you make in taking an extra couple seconds to just make sure that the person across the, you know, Slack or whatever um, has less opportunity to read uncertainty and negativity yeah. into it is going to pay off dividends. They're going to be calmer and more relaxed. Clear is kind, says Brene Brown. Clear um, and nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know? Well, I'm aware we have four minutes left, which is causing me some stress. And I'm like, I feel like I could talk to you for ages. And I feel like even talking about professional development would be a whole other interesting, fantastic topic. But to round up the conversation today, if people take one thing away from today, like what do you want them to know? Well, that's such a good question. Because it's not one thing. It's no, I know. <laughs> it's it's a hard thing I'm saying to do. I think as a leader, this is why it's a special privilege to be a leader. This is why not everybody gets to be a leader, right? Yeah. It, when you're a leader, you have a responsibility to the business. You have a responsibility to the humans in your care, right? And so if you yourself have a gap, right? You're maybe you're like, I can't do that tone, Jen. I can't do that ritual. I can't, I can't do those things. I think developing yourself first is the best thing and the best gift you can give your team, right? Get really, figure out why you're uncomfortable with a ritual, with a gratitude ritual. Like go talk to somebody about it. Why are you personally uncomfortable with it? Get through that first so that you can show up for your team and be there for them so that you're not the reason that they're getting sick. Because that would be the absolute yeah. worst thing you could do as a leader, right? You want to have the opposite. So I just say work on yourself. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I could talk to you forever, but uh, no, I so appreciate your time. Time just flies. Yeah. How did that happen? It was really fun. I um, I really appreciate the opportunity to come and share what is my favorite thing about business, which is leading and helping teams to be successful. So thanks for giving me this form today, Victoria. So if people want to connect with you afterwards, where can they find you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, Jen Single. And uh, I think that's where I am. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, where else am I going to be? No, I'm going on sabbatical. So I'll be in Palm Springs golfing. Please don't reach me there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to see all the things that are next for you after you take this time to meditate on it. I'm sure I'll have a thing or two to say about leadership on the flip side of this too. Yeah. yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Yeah. Big thank you to Jen for joining us on the podcast. I highly recommend you follow Jen on LinkedIn. If you found the tools that she shared helpful, I know you're going to want to follow her next steps. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a fellow leader who you think will enjoy it too. Next week, we're going to be talking all about the dark side. The dark side of corporate values, that is. And I can't wait to dive into this topic with you. So until next time. 